the book of Numbers, and we're going to be in chapter 16, chapter 16 of the book of Numbers today, but we're going to be all over the place too. Uh, the, uh, it'll probably be just more of an overview of this chapter and bringing in a few other verses of scripture that uh, complement this chapter, but for the last three chapters of the book of Numbers, we've noticed in chapter 13 and 14, man's way. God said, go into the land and I'll be with you. They came back with a report that was negatory. Good buddy. And then they said, we'll go in anyway, whether God's with us or not. That's just man's way. So contrary to God. And then in chapter 15, we read about God's way. God's way is a way of sacrifice. God's way is a way of blood. God's way is a way of his righteousness. God's way is a way of rest and peace in him. And then we come to chapter 16, and one more time, God illustrates to us man's way. Now, many will say, when reading these chapters, if I were there, I would have done better. I would have done different. I'm smarter than that. And yet the church will say, except for the grace of God, there go I. If it wasn't for intervening grace, if it wasn't for God stepping in our way, if it wasn't for God coming and calling us out of darkness to his marvelous light, we would be in the same path that we read about here in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was used of the Holy Spirit to write about man's natural condition, and it is not good. But there is goodness in Christ to redeem a people for himself, that he would come and be the sacrifice, he would, be, he would come and be the rest, and he would come and be the righteousness for all his people without any work on their part. Well, naturally, we are interested in doing work on our part, but God has to change us so that we stop that. And he's the one that causes us to rest in his work. In chapter 16, there is again an account of sedition and treason. A man by the name of Korah is mentioned in this chapter several times. Korah is related to Moses. They are cousins of sort. They both come from the same leader, Levi. And there are several generations down here. I believe Levi was Korah's great-grandfather. And we have him coming up in this chapter with a lot of other, there's at least 250 other men of renown among Israel. They are leaders among the people. And yet Korah is able to talk them into going up against Moses and challenging Moses. You know, I I could just fit right into this because when I heard the gospel for the first time, I wanted to challenge him. In fact, I did exactly what Korah did, except I didn't go up and challenge him to the face. I just went home and says, I hate that man. And you know what, really? That's what Korah is saying about Moses, the appointed leader. Moses is going to tell us in this chapter, I didn't choose this position. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have a vote. You didn't vote on me being the leader of Israel. It was imposed on me. I am the one that said, I can't talk. I am the one that says, I can't go. I'm the one that said all of that. And yet God moved on that, on him to do what he wanted him to do. And that's the way it is throughout the scriptures. 
You know, I'm amazed as churches sometimes are without pastors, the process that they go through. And, you know, becoming a pastor is not like becoming a, uh, putting in an application to be uh, someone in business or, or school teaching or whatever. It, that's altogether different. God may move and open doors for us to do that, but when it comes to being a pastor, there is, I just don't find in the scripture that anybody put in an application. <laughs> they didn't brag on themselves. In fact, we find we must remember that we are or we have this glorious, wonderful gift in earthen vessels. <laughs> We're earthen vessels. And it's the, only the inside that has any benefit at all or good. Because he does not do anything with our flesh. Well, we notice here, just reading down here, and we're going to skim through this quite rapidly. But we'll come back over time and look at this chapter more in depth. But in that first verse, now Korah, and it gives us his lineage. And, uh, you know, we find this uh, with a lot of people in the scriptures that there's a lineage. And uh, when we read about this with saved people, we find out that God only saves people that are direct descendants of Adam. And we can trace that lineage right back there. He saves sinners. That's all he saves. And here he's directing us back to it doesn't matter your lineage. When it comes to your heart, you're going to challenge God. Even though he's a Levite, and even though he's been put into a position of doing work around the tabernacle and preparing for the moves and all of that stuff, he comes up and tells us there in verse 2, and they rose up before Moses with a certain children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Now we're going to follow this through, and we're going to find out that these people wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted a following. I am so impressed with John when he had preached the gospel and certain were saved by the grace of God. When he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, go follow that one. He didn't want to make a name for himself. He didn't want a following. He wanted people to follow Christ. And I hope and pray that that is our ministry here, is that we're pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not interested in a following. I'll never forget being down at my dad's place one time, and the preacher showed up. Now, I had moved away. I was pastoring a religious church at the time, and I was home visiting. And the pastor showed up with somebody else, and my dad says, uh, uh, Brother Frank, what are you doing? We are on a church member drive. <laughs> We're never in Christ on a church member drive because it is He that adds daily to the church. It is His additions. All right. Now, notice here in verse 3, they gathered themselves together against Moses. They're challenging him. And against Aaron and said, ye take too much upon you. Seeing all the congregation are holy, even every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. What a challenge Korah makes here with these 250 people. They gathered against Moses, and then in verse 5 of this, and then spake unto, he spake, Moses spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who 
are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him, even him who hath he chosen with will he cause to come near unto him. And then in verse 9, the scriptures say, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to, uh, to himself and do service of the tabernacle of the Lord. You already have a business. You already have service to the tabernacle. God's appointed that to you. And stand here before the congregation to the minister unto them. And then it tells us in verse 11, uh, excuse me, verse 10, and he hath brought thee near to him and all the brethren of the sons of Levi to thee to seek ye the priesthood also. God has appointed you a place and now you're seeking the priesthood also. You know, they had no understanding about how God works. They had challenged the sovereign grace of God. They had challenged God's sovereign work and God's sovereign power to appoint over his people whomsoever he will. And we'll look at a verse about at that in just a few minutes. In verse, uh, verse 11, For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? You have gathered yourselves against the Lord. They hadn't recognized that. And by nature, we cannot recognize that. It's a gift of God. It's the grace of God that allows us to see, except for the grace of God, there go I. I would be in the same boat doing the same thing. In fact, I did the same thing. I challenged God. In our religion, we do challenge God. It's just as good as anything else. And then as we follow down through here in verse 12 through 27, we sort, the Lord will show his will. And that's going to be done in this passage of scripture. The Lord will show his will. And in verse 28, if you'll drop down to verse 28, we find here, Moses said, hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them in my own mind. I didn't volunteer for this. I didn't advertise for this. I didn't send you my resume. I didn't ask for a vote. God has appointed this. And you know, Moses recognized that fact, that God has appointed this. You know, many years ago, there was a man that challenged the Scriptures in a Bible study. He read a passage of Scripture, and we were in the old building at the time, and he read a passage of Scripture, and he said, you know, on this point, God is not sovereign. And I said, God is sovereign in everything. And he got upset and left and told the congregation there to his wife, you come with me because it's evident there's no safe people in this church. In a couple of days, I called one of the men and I said, I need to meet with you. And that man told me later, I knew you were going to resign. And I told him, I found out through this, I'm pastor of this church. It's my responsibility. Well, the man quit and never came back and started sending out trash because that's all he knew. Here we find that the Lord told Moses, you're my appointed vessel. You're the one that's going to be here. And uh, in verses 29 and through 33, Moses said, now if you die, Korah, in a natural way, then I'm not a spokesman for God. But if you die in a new way, then I'm speaking for God. And at that moment, 
Moses told a bunch of people, separate yourselves from this group. And the earth opened up and swallowed them. And they went down, as the scriptures tell us, into the pit alive. Now that's a new thing. And then, if you'll notice with me, in verse 41, but on the morrow, can you imagine after seeing that happen? On the morrow, All the children, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. And you know, people will say, I'd have been smarter than that. I'd have done different than that. Except for the grace of God, there go I. It's only God's grace. His mercy, His blood, His righteousness that separate us from anything. And because of that, we do not boast in ourselves. We don't boast in our stand. We boast in Christ. Well, it tells us here in verses 46 and 47 of that chapter, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. Sin must be paid for. Make an atonement for them. And then, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord, the plague is begun, and Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation, and behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put an incense and made an atonement for the people. Now notice verse 48. There's some there's something here that we want to look at. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. What an Old Testament statement with regards to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can make an atonement, and he is the only one that stands between the living and the dead. He's the only one that makes a difference. And then it tells us here, and now verse 49, And they that died in the plague were 14,700. The 250, we didn't read about that, but the 250 that came with Korah and challenged God and challenged Moses, Moses were consumed on sight. Korah and his group went down into the pit alive, and 14,700 that said, Moses, you killed innocent people yesterday. <laughs> and God recognized that challenge, and it broke out. A plague broke out. You know, it's just so reminiscent of Old Testament statements about the fall, about Adam, about sin, about how it's affected us. And there is only one remedy for that affection that we have, and that is the blood of Christ. There is a wonderful statement made in the book of Numbers chapter 26. Would you jump over there with me? In Numbers chapter 26, it's ten chapters away in the book of Numbers, Korah is brought up again. In a very small verse that I have passed over, I do not know how many times I've passed over this verse of Scripture, and I've made misnomers about Korah and his family. But here in the book of Numbers chapter 26 and verse 11, 9, 10, and 11, excuse me, 9, 10, and 11, it says, And the sons of Eliab, Nimiel, and Dothan, and Abram, this is that Dothan and Abram, 
which were famous in the congregation who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah, when they strove against the Lord, the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when the company died. What time the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Notice verse 11. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. What a statement about the grace of God. The children of Korah. He was a rascal. He was treasonous. He was so in the wrong about Moses and Aaron and about God. And even though the Lord took him in such a dynamic way, his children stood on the side and we are thankful. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know whether the Lord dealt with them in his mercy or let them live and they just died a natural death. We do not know that. But we find many things out about, uh, about uh, Korah. Now, in the book of Jude, would you travel with me to the book of Jude? I mentioned this is just going to be more of an introduction than anything. But in the book of Jude, we have three people mentioned in verses 10 and 11. Korah is one of them. In the book of Jude, one chapter, verses 10 and 11. Now Jude has a lot to say about those who are in opposition against grace, those who are in opposition against God, those who are in opposition against uh, mercy, of the atonement, of free grace, whatever. He brings up this. And here in Jude 1, 10, verse 10, it says, But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they, uh, they, they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Now notice verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam, for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, three really infamous people in the Old Testament scriptures are brought up in this one verse of scripture, and with when it comes to uh, Cain, they have gone in the way of Cain, and with regard to Balaam, they ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, and with regard to Korah, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now. Cain presumed that God had no right to require blood for sin and proved it by bringing what? Fruits and vegetables. God does not have a right to claim this. And he demonstrated it by what he brought. Now his brother did not do this because he's better, smarter, more intelligent, more studied, or anything else. He brought it because of the grace of God. Except for the grace of God, Abel would have done exactly what his brother Cain did. But God's grace had intervened. His mercy had intervened. The gospel had come to him. God had worked the work of grace in him. And he saw the absolute desperate need of a blood sacrifice. This animal that he offered was not going to take care of his sin, but it represented the blood of the Lamb of God, 
who would take care of sin? The Lord Jesus Christ would take care of it. And for every intended purpose, it was taking care of Cain or Abel's sin there before the cross. He was justified. He was, we find even in the book of uh, Romans chapter 8, he was also glorified. He was sanctified. God did a work for him and gave him every good gift and every perfect gift that God ever gives from the Father of lights. We also find in there, there's a man by the name of Balaam. Now, Balaam presumed to speak for God or say right things about God while at the same time encouraging or having a duke's mixture of pagan religion with him. You know, this is, we hear that to this very same thing today. Pretending to have some truth and hanging on to lies about God. Many years ago, I was asked, why don't I go back to that camp that I used to go to? And I said, I'm sick and tired of hearing lies about God. You cannot have grace given to you and lie about sovereignty. You cannot have grace revealed to you and lie about sin. You cannot have grace revealed to you and lie about God's people. It is a necessity that God gives to us, and we cannot go back to that stuff. Well, here we have Balaam, and it's quite an account there we find about Balaam. He's hired to curse Israel, and he finds out that God intervened and would not allow him. He was uh, pretending to speak for the truth and at the same time hanging on to those old pagan religious thoughts. In the bulletin today, there's an article by Gary Shepard that brings this up. He says, my little children, don't go after idols. Now we think idols often are just things, objects, you know, this religion has it, that religion has it. No, no. We get around certain people, their object is free will. Their idol is free will. Their idol is so apparent, comes out right away. There's always something that people have that is much more valuable than the gospel. It's been 10 years, and there was a couple right over here against this wall were telling me how they've just discovered the wonderful benefits of tithing. That if they tithe, God has promised to give it back. And I just made this comment, God loveth a cheerful giver. And they left, and never. That's what the Bible says. God loves a cheerful giver. Under the everlasting covenant, This is not a requirement. That's why I don't ever, ever, have I ever preached on giving. God takes care of that for us. He's the one that touches hearts. Just like he does in every other thing that we need to do. Well, and then there's one other person here, Korah. The gainsaying of Korah, meaning rebellion or contradiction, or opposition, and speaking out against. Korah indeed spoke out against Moses, but his hatred was for God. His rebellion was against God. And so we have three infamous people brought up in this one verse of Scripture, and one of them has to do with this 16th chapter of the book of Numbers that we'll be going through. Now that chapter of the book of Numbers reminded me of a passage of scripture in the book of Second, Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, excuse me, First Corinthians. Would you turn there with me? First Corinthians, 
And this only works with saved people. <laughs> Have you ever been in a business meeting <laughs> and things went awry? Hmm. You got people in the back going, I hate business meetings. I've got so I despise them. Brother Henry shared with me, when you take a vote, you have a split. So we don't vote. If it's not good to be done, we won't do it. If it's good to be done, everybody's going to be happy about it. Alright, here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it starts with this. Now, why in the world our translators put the word gifts in this verse of Scripture is beyond me, unless they had something that they were uh, tied to when they translated it. Remember, the translators of our, this version were Anglicans, and they already had some deep-seated prejudice about the Word of God and what it meant. Well, anyway, take that word gifts right out of there because most people apply that to things that are unscriptural. It says, now concerning spiritual, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. With regard to spiritual things, I don't want you ignorant. You know, we read over there in the book of John chapter 3, except you're born again, you cannot see or hear or be part of spiritual things. So this is to spiritual. And he goes on, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away with, unto those dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. You know what the worst accursed thing could, can be said about the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't know who he died for, or... He died for people that have gone to hell. Now that's accursed. If you have that idea about an almighty, all-sovereign God, that he's a failure, that is accursed. He isn't going to stand for it. Either he's going to make us to see and understand the grace of God, or he is going to say, enough. <laughs> no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Whatever he said he will do, we're going to say yes and amen. We heard that read in the sixth chapter of the book of John this morning. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. You know the worst thing we can say about that? Is that he didn't know what he's talking about. And I've had preachers tell me that. Goes on to tell us here, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit the Holy Spirit is never going to reveal different things to people that are contrary to the truth. Now, he may reveal parts of Exodus to you and parts of John to you and parts of Obadiah to you, and I haven't seen it, and no one else has been able to see that, but it's revealed to you, and you're going to share that. But when it comes to the truth, He's not going to share some odd thing contrary to the truth to this person over this person. He said it's going to be unanimously my word. All right. 
There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. Just keep this in mind. The same spirit, the same Lord. And in verse 6, and there are diversities of operations, but the same God. What do we have? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are the same, they are one, and they will not lead contrary to each other. Now, as we drop down through here, look with me at uh, verse 18. But now, now just think of Israel. Israel is a type of the church. Think of Israel here. But now hath God set the members Every one of them in the body, what? As it hath pleased him. That's something that Korah didn't understand. And only by the grace of God can we understand. The scriptures share with us that, you know, the body has many pieces. <laughs> we got the eye, the ear, the mouth the hands, the fingers, the trunk, the legs, the feet, the whole thing. And God says, you know, I put it together in such a marvelous way. I used to wonder, why is there extra skin right here? Well, you find out when you go like that. <laughs> it has to be. Not too long ago, I saw a special on one of the nature films and the guy's talking about the difference in hair. And he says, wouldn't it be interesting if the, our hair all over our body grew like our hair on our head? We'd have to have... <laughs> I never thought about it. You know, the body is wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And the same is true about the body of Christ, the church. It is fearfully and wonderfully made. And every person that God saves has a very special place in that body. You know, this is the first group I've ever been in. That when something needs to be done, it's just taken care of. I'll come through the kitchen and find... The trash is all dumped. Now that's a menial thing. I realize that. But when it comes to spiritual things... The same thing is true. When I first came here, I said, don't you ever ask me to pray for anything that you haven't prayed about. I'm not a priest. Most people think a preacher is a priest and he has more say and more ability to pray than anybody else. Are you kidding me? We're the worst. I am the very worst. God's people have their own priesthood. <laughs> we are all kings and priests of a thrice holy God. And we have the same privilege before the throne of grace as anybody else. And we'll never go to someone else and say, you have more influence with God than I do, so I want you to pray this prayer. No way. We have equality at the cross. We are equal in Christ. There's no big eyes and little use. And we see what happened when this man thought he was a big eye and looked at Moses as a little you. And Moses said, I did not take this responsibility on myself. I didn't get, I didn't volunteer for this. And God put you in a place and you should stay there. <laughs> Go down through here, it says, 
In verse 19, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are you many members, yet but one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Hallelujah. Even in my feebility, I am necessary. (laughs) I love it. In the book of Luke chapter 14, would you turn there with me? Luke chapter 14. The Lord spends so much time instructing his disciples. Sometimes it's just overheard by his disciples. Sometimes it is directed to him. But I'm thankful that the word of God is still as powerful and quick as it was when it was given on those first writings, first letters, first things. The Holy Spirit stands behind it. He's the one that gave it. He's the one that reveals it. He's the one that empowers his people to understand it. And here in the book of Luke chapter 14, we have mention of a wedding feast. Hasn't been that long ago. Brother Mike was right here. But here it tells us in the uh, uh, 14th chapter of the book of Luke, verse 7, and he put forth a parable to those that which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When you are bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden to him. You know who gets mad at this? Four times in the Gospels, I believe, the Lord tells his, a bunch of Pharisees, you always want the highest seat. You always want the best street corner. You always want where the most people are so you can brag about what you're doing. And now he's teaching the church. He says, when you're going to a, the house of the Lord, when you're going before people, when you, whenever you're active, he says there, don't choose the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou bidden of him. The head of the feast comes to say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake one time of sitting down at the head table of a wedding. You know what I was asked to do? Could you move? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I will move. Well, he goes on to say here, And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say to thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at the meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What encouraging words. That's what the Lord starts us with. Just remember Moses. Just remember Aaron. Just remember David. Just remember Noah. Just remember Samson. Just remember Solomon. You have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have nothing of your own. Now we're going to look at a man who thought he had something. He, he wanted to be somebody. He wanted a following. He wanted to challenge God. He wanted to challenge God on his men. He wanted to challenge God on his ways. He wanted to challenge God on grace. He wanted to challenge God on many things, on many levels, 
among many people, and here we have it played out just as God in his sovereign plan has laid it out. I have chosen this man. Now the earth's going to open for you. You know, in that day, and it may be this year, that day when the Lord shall come, we don't know, but in that day, there shall be a great separation. And you know what? On the right-hand side, all of those are going to say, when did we do that? And those on the left-hand side have said, when didn't we do that? We've done everything. You know, the Lord gave great power to 12 men when they went out one day. He sent them out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, gave them great power. And they came back and said, Lord, let me tell you what I did for you today. We had such a wonderful time out there. We had power over this, and we had power over that, and we had power over this. And you know what the Lord said to them? Don't boast in that. Be thankful that your names are written in heaven. We are, we have clay. Thank God for that wonderful gift of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as we go through the 16th chapter of the book of Numbers, I have no axe to grind. We're right here at this time going through a book that very few people have ever gone through, and I've looked over so much. I'm thankful for that verse of Scripture that the Lord showed me. The children of Korah did not die. Grace, grace, grace alone. Brother Mike.